conversation about the future of work would not be complete without discussing the impact on people. How are system integrators adjusting their approaches to attracting, recruiting, and retaining talent? There's there's just so many conversations about the the best way to do that. The ability to recruit anywhere is one solution, but now everybody can recruit anywhere. So first, how do you define what your culture is? If you're if you're not actively laying it out and saying, this is who we are and this is what's important to us, you're going to develop a culture, whether, whether you're intentional about it or not. So how do we help define a culture, you know, identify who we are and therefore who do we want to try and recruit into our organization that's going to align with those values and, and kind of think the same way? How do we develop that hook and that culture that makes them want to stay in spite of the fact that, you know, they're their day-to-day may not look any different regardless of where they go. So this is such a huge topic. There's so many different avenues you could take it down, angles you could take it. Welcome to the Sound of Automation, brought to you by Clayton and McCurvey, CPAs for growth-driven businesses. Hello and welcome to the Sound of Automation. I'm Brian Prozik with Clayton McCurvey and I'm excited today because this is my very first crossover episode. Uh, I have one of my other favorite podcast hosts, uh, Lisa Richter of CSIA with me today. And Lisa hosts the uh, host Talking Industrial Automation. So Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Well, I had to return the favor. You had me on on Talking Industrial Automation. So uh, great. I'm I'm glad to have you on. Excited for the conversation. And uh, before we get into our discussion, um, you know, just in case any of the folks listening out there aren't familiar with CSIA, can you just give me a little background on, on CSIA? Sure. Well, first of all, CSA is Control System Integrators Association. That's probably a good set point right there, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's an association really focused on helping system integrators build better businesses. We know there are organizations out there that they can, can teach them all the technical stuff, but where we see the opportunity is to help them build their business. You know, they may start out one or two guys in a garage somewhere and they start to scale and they're looking at each other like, do you know how to read a PL? Do you know what kind of insurance we need? Do you know, you know, how to do sales and marketing? And that's where we come in. We've got a best practices manual and all kinds of other resources to help system integrators build their business. But what's really, really unique about this organization, and I say this as somebody who's been working with associations her whole career, and I'm not going to say how long that is, but, you know, take a good guess. I've never seen one where the members are so willing to help each other. Even if they might be competitors, they are so willing to share their bumps and bruises and be really transparent about what their challenges are and help each other out. I mean, we're going to talk about the conference in a minute, but one of the most popular sessions there is the something like touching lessons from touching a hot stove, yep. where basically system integrators get up on stage and talk about how they messed up. Now, there's always a happy ending. Of course, we always provide the resolution as well, but... I just think that's something really unique that people are getting good to get up on stage and share, share the not so happy stuff that doesn't happen very often. But um, I think that's really what makes the association so unique. Exactly. You know, and, and in my role, I get to work with a lot of different associations. And, and that's one of the things that's always really impressed me about CSIA is, is the focus on, you know, there's, there's always some technical elements to it and things like that. But then there's also a real focus on how, 
how does the business owner grow their business, improve on their operations, get to that next level? And as you said, there's always those those folks who are a little bit further down the road who are happy to help try and pull you know some of the younger integrators forward and help them learn from their lessons, uh, uh, the times when they touch the hot stove. So that's uh, that's fantastic. And and you brought up the conference, you know, which is another thing I'm pretty excited for. This will be my first year getting to go to the conference. I was supposed to go two years ago, and then uh, we all know what happened from there. But um, there's still time to register. So let's tell people a little bit a little bit about what goes on at the conference, what they could expect in case they uh, they haven't registered yet. Sure. Well, we as I mentioned, because we are focused on helping system integrators build their businesses, we tend to draw the C-suite. We got the mm-hmm. owner, the president, the founder. You know, maybe the CTO, the C, whatever C-suite, right? Yep. Basically, the C-suite, um, and we just get together and learn. We have a lot of networking this year. We really put an extra emphasis on the networking. We always had networking as part of the program in addition to education, but because people have been apart um, for these past, I don't know how many years it's been now, it feels like forever. Um, We feel that that's really the need. You can't replicate that in any virtual event. Everybody's tried to replicate it. We've tried doing, you know, mingles virtually on Zoom and it just, it's not the same. So we really built in a lot of extra networking time during this conference. We're going to go to a baseball game. We've got a speed networking event set up. Um, We've got uh, something new this year because we know that not everybody can bring their whole team, but they may want to give their team some sense of what the conference is like. So we'll be live streaming a couple of events, the town hall and the award ceremony. That's something new that we haven't done before. And we're really feeling the enthusiasm. We Our registrations are up year over year from 2019. Our expo sold out and we opened up more kiosks and those sold out within hours. So people are pumped and they are ready to get back to the in-person event. Um, This year's theme is the future of work. I mean, you know, the pandemic has disrupted everything. I mean, it doesn't even, it goes without saying that that's happened. Um, So we're really focused on trying to help our system integrators adjust to this brave new world, if you like. And here's where I would like to kind of turn the tables on you a little bit, Brian, because you talk to a lot of system integrators in your line of work. And I'm wondering what you're seeing. Uh, Most businesses saw a lot of change um, where they performed their business because of the pandemic. How are system integrators adapting their business model as a result? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting to me. I I see a lot of conversations about future of work, right? And and actually, at uh, I was at a an event last week, and somebody came up to me and was like, "Well, what does that actually mean?" And I'm like, "I don't know," but but I like what what the what the staff at CSIA did and kind of breaking it down into those three tracks. And and I think you're on the where track right now, and and that has you know for for business owners in general, but integrators in particular, the where you do your business, uh, it's opened up a lot of new doors and and a lot of new challenges too. Like if you think about it, um, most integrators, uh, they've got their engineering staff who could do their job from anywhere, you know, and I've, I've heard stories of integrators changing where they're recruiting at. They're no longer recruiting where their office is. They're recruiting nationwide. Uh, Conversely, their employees saying, hey, do I have to work from the office or could I move to, you know, someplace else? Maybe they're, you know, they're originally from a different state or something like that and they'd like to move back home, but they still want to stay where they're at. So, so that creates a whole nother level of challenge of how do you maintain your culture? How do you 
attract people when you're 10 states away and you don't really have the the networking base there to to try and find people. Um, But then, you know, even for, for a controls integrator who maybe has a panel shop, now you've got that challenge of part of your workforce has flexibility, but part of your workforce is still tied to the office. And how do you, uh, how do you kind of make both sides of that equation feel like they get the flexibility and the ability to do their best work and, and take advantage of some of the opportunities that are out here uh, as people talk about the quote unquote future work. But it's, uh, it, it just creates some additional challenges for, for business owners. But I feel also opens them up to a lot more opportunity. You know, you're no longer, uh, when we talk about the where, you're no longer restricted to that pool of talent in your immediate, you know, half hour, hour radius of your office. And so now you can really branch out and find the best employees for your organization. Uh, and then you, you just need to change some of the ways you do things to, to, to get them onboarded and, and make them feel like they're part of the team. So I know you're a member of the CSA Benchmarking Committee, and I'm curious if, with that committee, have you done any research on maybe how people feel about going hybrid or back into the office? I think at one point we were a little surprised by it was the younger people that wanted to come in, into the office. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was that was one of the, uh, I think, the easy stats surveys that was done, uh, and that was always kind of surprising that you would expect it would be the, the younger workers who, who wanted that flexibility and, and wanted the, um, well, I think on its face, it seemed like that. Um, but then when you really kind of drill down to it and think about it, it's like, well, how else are you going to learn, you know, if you're just sitting in your room by yourself trying to figure this out versus, you know, having that social element where you're, A, you're meeting peers your age and getting a chance to, to, to go out to lunch and, and dinners and happy hours and things like that. Um, but then also when you look at the type of work that people are doing, as you move up within an organization, your job just tends to lend itself a little bit better to, to being flexible. And, and yeah, I can, I can do it from my house or I can do it on the road while you know, I'm traveling from one customer site to the next. I can make phone calls and things like that. So, so that was one of the, the more surprising uh, well, I think initially surprising, but then once you process it, you're like, yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. Uh, uh, things that came out of the benchmarking committee's work. So I had a unique experience of watching my daughter get her first real job and she's working from home. And so she's turning to me all day long, asking me questions that an entry level worker would ask, yep. but now I'm onboarding her. It's not even my employee, but that, <laughs> that speaks to that younger generation it needs somebody next to them to guide them through. And also looking back on my early career, that's where I met the people who I still network with. You know, I met my best friend through work. I mean, that's where you start to build all those lifelong connections. And it's got to be more difficult to do if you're just behind a Zoom camera. And it's just not the same. Going back to my earlier comment about you can't really replicate that true networking thing virtually. Exactly. Exactly. I also have to imagine that if you've got a diverse workforce in a bunch of different states, that has business implications too, right? Like how do you, what, where, what state do you pay the taxes in? Or gosh, that's, that's more your Bollywick, but you know, there's more to it than just developing a hybrid workforce, right? Oh yeah. There's, you know, the, uh, actually there was just a, a question very along these lines that came up on one of the discussion boards within CSI. Cause yeah, it, there's, potential tax implications, uh, you know, there's legal implications. Do you need to now register in those states? 
Uh, and, it, and it's things that business owners, while they should have been thinking about it, it was much easier to say, well, it doesn't apply. We only go into that state once a year to work for one customer. And, uh, and we're going we, we're gonna to kind of pass on that at this point in time. But you know, it's, it's now it just requires, and it's, it's interesting. One of, uh, one of, uh, the panelists I was on with last week, uh, and I'm going to, uh, I have to apologize to Stephanie cause I'm going to butcher her analogy, but, but there was a, an author that she had talked about who said previously you could build your cultures like a forest, right? Just the trees are there and everything grows and you kind of appreciate it. Whereas now you're, you're more tending a garden and you have to be very intentional about you know, the, the plant you put where and, and what its purpose it's going to be and, and how everything goes. And so uh, it really, before you could, you could just kind of say, hey, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to hire six engineers and, and maybe two of them won't work out, but the other four will be here and they'll grow within the organization. But now you got to be much more intentional about, you know, each and every hire, each and every business decision, because yeah, you could have some unintended consequences, whether it be accounting wise, tax wise, whatever it might be. Uh, so you just have to really think a lot of those decisions through rather than just kind of taking chances and, and ah, my gut says we should do this. So that's what we're going to do. So what was this panel and who is Stephanie? <laughs> uh, Stephanie, well, actually, Stephanie Murphy will be at uh, the executive conference. Uh, it, uh, she works for a company at Visa that, that is one of the keynote speakers uh, during the conference. And then uh, she'll be coming along in case there's you know questions about the, the content that's covered there. And she'll actually be on a panel that we're hosting uh, later in the conference on. I think it's pretty much related to future of work as well. Uh, so what is Advisa? Uh, so Advisa is a uh, a company that helps with strategic planning, um, staff development, business development, uh, not business development, but, but developing your people, helping you develop the strategy to grow your business and helping you identify areas where, you know, maybe you need to, to put in a little bit of additional work or, uh, you know, if you're just one, one big thing that comes up a lot, right? Um, and, and I can say this as an engineer, so <laughs> I, I hope not to offend anyone, but oftentimes what you find, and you see, I've seen this in engineering, I've seen it in accounting, the skills that make you a great entry-level engineer or an entry-level accountant are not the same skills you're going to need as you grow through your business. So as we're talking with business owners and, and succession planning or exit planning is a big topic of conversation right now, a lot of the business owners are saying, well, I have these two or three really good engineers that I would like to you know, bring up into management and potentially make them, you know, part owners, et cetera. Well, there's probably a lot of skills that they didn't focus on in, in their graduate or their undergraduate programs that they're going to need to develop to be successful. So better to identify that now, work on building out those skills. So when it's time for them to, to start making management decisions and doing those things, they're not being thrown into the fire <laughs> and, and they've had a chance to kind of prepare for what they're going to do. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about another big topic of conversation during the pandemic, which is using automation to make supply chains and industries more resilient. How are system integrators preparing to take advantage of this tremendous opportunity? Yeah, that, you know, I, I think we heard a lot about that, you know, as toilet paper started running out on shelves and, you know, there were there were huge delays and, and backlogs to get uh, get products uh from uh, from customer from companies manufacturing them, and automation seems to be the one consistent answer. You'll, you'll hear lots of different answers, but if you if you could kind of Pareto this all out, you know, automation would be the the probably the top response. Uh, and so, for an integrator, that's a great opportunity, right? You know that you're going to have 
Uh, a lot of people, and, and we, we heard this through the pandemic of, uh, of companies' backlogs growing because uh, the, the buyers of automation wanted to be in line so that they could get their project done when it was done, not wait six months and then have to go to the back of the line. So, uh, so that's great from an opportunity standpoint or a sales pipeline standpoint, but now that creates a whole slew of other problems. Um, most integrators are already, you know, they're, they're recruiting and hiring and trying to find more people because they, they're running probably below where they may want to be necessarily in terms of headcount. So not only do you need to fill the roles you have open, but you know that that work could potentially create more roles. So you've got, um, you know, human resource implications. You've got cash management implications, right? If you've got to go out and buy a piece of equipment at the outset of your job, but you're not getting paid until later, you've got to be able to make sure you're watching your cash flow. And uh, at least everything we're hearing, there's not going to be more money coming out of the government anytime soon, at least for, for businesses. So, uh, so just managing your day-to-day business changes a little bit. Those opportunities are great to have there, but you've got to make sure you put yourself in a position to actually be able to take advantage of them when they come in. So, uh, so this will be That'll be another great track within uh, within the executive conferences, just hearing how other integrators are positioning themselves and setting themselves up to be able to take advantage. A conversation about the future of work would not be complete without discussing the impact on people. How are system integrators adjusting their approaches to attracting, recruiting, and retaining talent? Yep, and this and this will be a great question for Stephanie. So I will I I will hopefully she'll she'll be able to fill people in more. But but I'll try and just hit the high points. But a lot of what I talked about earlier um, of the of the kind of building the garden approach, uh, you know, making sure that you've got the right people uh, in the right roles, and maybe some of those roles need to change. You know, uh, I, I was talking with um, I was talking with a gentleman from it's the smart automation certification alliance there they they put together kind of credentialing programs for robotics and other you know other aspects of of automation but their goal is if you can take a person that was maybe just a technician or you know somebody that was putting together the equipment and you now add a layer of skill for them where they're doing more of the the programming or configuration of 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 the hardware and software you've now freed up space for the person above them. And so is there a way to kind of shift some of these responsibilities around and upskill some folks who, um, who can now take on more responsibility, which now creates more capacity throughout the organization. So there's, there's just so many conversations about the, the best way to do that. And, you know, you would think the ability to recruit anywhere is one solution, but now everybody can recruit anywhere. So, uh, so, you know, some of what uh, I know what uh, Heather and Stephanie from Advisal will be talking about is, is how do you, you know, how do you first, how do you define what your culture is? If you're, if you're not actively laying it out and saying, this is who we are and this is what's important to us, you're going to develop a culture, whether, whether you're intentional about it or not. So how do we help define a culture, you know, identify who we are and therefore who do we want to try and recruit into our organization that's going to align with those values and, and kind of think the same way? Um, and then how do you find those people? If you're, if you're in office, you know, the, the, the culture is maybe a little more easy to develop and maintain. But if you're working hybrid or some combination of remote uh, employees, what are you doing to get those people together, to get people to have those connections. Cause that's, we, we see it even in public accounting. You know, we, we have a lot of, uh, 
folks who are working, you know, remote four days a week, you know, three days a week. Uh, we, we even have a couple employees we've hired who aren't based in, in Michigan where our office is. Well, for that employee, if they're working for me or they're working for somebody else, their, do- their day doesn't change. They still go into the same home office. They're working on, you know, taxes or whatever it might be. So how do we develop that, that hook and that culture that makes them want to stay in spite of the fact that, you know, their, their day-to-day may not look any different regardless of where they go. So, uh, so this is such a huge topic. Uh, you know, there's so many different avenues you could take it down, angles you could take it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what the experts have to say at, at CSI because uh, I know it's not my, my specialty. I love talking about it, love hearing about it, but uh, there's people much smarter than me in the room that will be able to answer those questions. Yeah, I think one area that I've noticed people getting woke to Mm -hmm. is that recruiting is a sales and marketing function, right? So if I'm a potential employee, I'm going to your website, I'm going to your LinkedIn profile, I'm Googling you, and your digital footprint matters. Like if I see a really outdated site and I'm a college graduate, is that going to be attractive? Probably not. So um, I also have seen people get really creative. I've saw a, a Somebody told me they saw a billboard in Milwaukee looking for system integrators. Like people are starting to get really creative. Um, One area where I think people have an opportunity is podcasts because that's where the, you know, the young, Mm -hmm. the demographics of the typical listener of a podcast skews a little younger, sweeping generalizations here. But to me, that's really an untapped opportunity. If I were a recruiter, I'd be getting on every podcast I could, or I'd be trying to buy adverts on the podcast. Um, and really try to build the pipeline that way. So we have to get creative. It's exactly you know, the wild, well, wild west out there. I was I was talking to a, a professor from Purdue uh, several months back, and and kind of asked him that question. Like, hey, my clients are small to mid sized companies, right? Anywhere from five million a year to a hundred million a year. But when you're comparing that to going up against a, a Fanuc or a Rockwell or a Siemens, the budget is way bigger. The, the team they have focusing on this is way bigger. How does the, how does the small demands, because I feel, you know, uh, and again, I was in the auto industry, right? I could have gone to work for, for GM or Chrysler. I, well, Stellantis now, but, uh, or I could have gone to a smaller company. I elected smaller because I felt I'd get more opportunities, more things to learn and see. So how does the small to mid-sized, you know, integrator compete in today's day? And, and that was his number one piece of advice was, was get creative and get in there early and often and have a good message that you can deliver to the students. Because, you know, unlike the larger companies, you only need to attract, you know, two, three, maybe good employees each year, whereas they've got to find hundreds. So if you can get those couple that are interested in what you have to offer and you've got that good you know, good understanding of what your culture is, what's important to you that you can convey to them in a very convincing way, then yeah, you're going to find that person that's looking for that experience. Uh, and any avenue you can take this information and get it out to them is is worthwhile pursuing. Well, obviously, if somebody's going to attend the CSIA conference, they're going to learn about all this stuff and more. Exactly. So I'm going to give myself a shameless plug here and say if anybody's interested in learning more about the conference, registering, or just finding out a little bit more, you can go to www.controlsys.org slash conference 2022. 
Excellent. Well, and Lisa, there's one thing as I've been listening to your podcast, there's one thing that I've heard you do that I, I'm going to shamelessly take the opportunity to, to put you through, but uh, I've got two truths and a lie for you. So are you ready? Sure. Go for it. All right. So based on the work done by the benchmarking committee over the last couple of years related to the pandemic, I've got two truths and a lie. The first is 40% of CSIA Pulse survey participants saw an increase in revenue per billable employee when comparing Q4 of 2020 to Q4 of 2019. They also saw an inc- a 70% increase when comparing Q4 21 to Q4 20. The second statement is the CSIA Talent Retention Toolbox Survey participants saw a 27% increase in turnover over the year and a 26% increase in new hire salaries in 2021. And the last statement is the CSI Easy Stats has a sentiment uh, question that they ask every month. What, what's the, the business owner sentiment? And that question accurately predicted the impact of the pandemic on the operations of CSI members. I'm going to guess number three. You're right. Number three is the lie, which uh, you know just goes to show. And this, and the the benchmarking committee will touch on this a little bit during their their panel. Uh, but if you look at the sentiment data. Right when the pandemic happened, uh, as you would expect, everybody thought the sky is falling, things are going to be terrible. It rebounded pretty quickly, though, but it, you, you see a couple months where it dropped down and then came back up. But in reality, you know, the, just the couple stats I, I mentioned there, we saw increases in revenue per billable employee. We, we saw increased turnover and increase in salaries, which, you know, probably not looked at as a good thing, but it shows that the market was active, that there was high demand for these things. So, so in reality, this is just another example that kind of shows the importance of looking at things like the pulse survey and the easy stats and, and the talent retention toolkit to, to get a gauge for what's going on in the market, because oftentimes our guts are wrong and, and we, we react too too much or not enough to what we're seeing in the market Whereas going back and looking at the data really kind of grounds you and helps you see exactly what's going on. Uh, no offense, Brian, but why does the data matter? Well, it matters because, you know, it's, it's data like this that can help businesses navigate the good times and bad, you know, and, and we see that probably more often than not that in the bad times, yeah, every, everybody goes down, but it's the good times. Are you really, are you really being as successful as you could or you should be, uh, you know, and so the, the benchmarking committee, you know, puts a lot of thought into how to make the members better data-driven decision makers. And, and as I said, it, that's, it's so important, you know, what we as the benchmarking committee feel is so important that we put together a panel discussion uh, during the conference. It's called Navigating, Navigating Uncertain Times with Data-Driven Decisions. And so hopefully uh, if any of the folks attending get a chance to go check that, uh, that presentation out, we'll try and share some, some good lessons from a couple different integrators of different sizes who can show how they use data to help them get through the pandemic. So I'm hearing that you will have some real life examples from system integrators during this discussion? Yep, yep, we sure will. So uh, anyone who's interested in learning more can visit www.controlsys.org backslash conference 2022. Count me in. Lisa, was that a a bad accounting pun. <laughs> kind of was. <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Denver in a few weeks. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like us, subscribe, and share on social. To learn more about Clayton and McCurvy, visit us at claytonmccurvy.com.
That's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-M-C-K-E-R-V-E-Y.com. We thrive on finding the solutions for you.